I love the different perspectives that the gospel writers give um, on the events surrounding Jesus' birth. I was reading a little bit this week in Mark as well. You know, um, no surprise, Mark is very short and to the point most of the time. And you won't find a detailed birth narrative there. It really starts with... John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. But in Matthew chapter 2 and also in the book of Luke, which we'll be looking at in the next few weeks, we'll be kind of going back and forth to those and some other places in Scripture that talk about the coming birth of the Messiah as we enter into that season, Christmas time, where we celebrate um, many aspects of the birth of Christ and what it means for us as Christians and how we celebrate it. Uh, as Christians. Um, the world celebrates Christmas uh, in very different ways. Um, we do share some, some pagan rituals uh, with the rest of the world that we've incorporated uh, into the way that we celebrate Christmas. Um, and you'll probably find that there are many things that, that you do as well. Uh, and, and I like to think that we can redeem those things for the purposes of worshiping Christ and using those things as, as tools to worship the Lord. But this morning we're going to hearken back to an old Christmas carol or Christmas song um, which has a, a verse in it that says, Let earth receive her king. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. All of the earth. You, me, everything that God created through Christ. Uh, when he is born in the manger, uh, we see the way that created things respond or do not respond to his coming. And the question for us today is, are we just as expectant for his second coming as his creatures were expectant for his first coming? Are you as a believer postured toward the second coming of Christ? Are you living expectantly? What does it look like to live in expectation of Jesus coming again? Because we are expecting that. He, he promised that he's coming again. And as Christians, I share with you many times, we don't see history in the way that many secular people and other world religions see history. We don't see history as cyclical. We don't believe in karma. That things come back to get you. We don't believe that the universe is personal. Okay, we believe that the universe is created by a personal God. An unmoved mover. But the universe doesn't have its own purpose. God has a purpose and history is linear. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. All things were created by Him and for Him and through Him. And in the end, as I say all the time, everything goes back in the box. And it's his box. It's all to him. To him be the glory. And in Matthew chapter 2, we see a story. When Jesus is born, we see a couple of different characters who jump off the page that I believe God wants us to really pay attention to. And I hope you'll turn your attention to God's word today 
as we read it. And I hope you'll pay attention to these characters in this story. So starting in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 12. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. And the Bible says in verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. And having heard the king, they went their way and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented him to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. Now, you may have never read this in the Bible. You may have never read this passage in your Bible. Maybe you have. You may have at least heard it in a school play recited by some child on the stage dressed uh, as a wise man. Um, these are words that you'll see in probably uh, Charlie Brown's Christmas or different movies or whatever. This is a passage of Scripture that, that you are probably familiar with. We're going to learn today what it means to seek the Lord and to seek the perfect gift. How many of you have already done your Christmas shopping? You've already started your Christmas shopping. Raise your hand. All of the ladies. Men, did you recognize that? We procrastinate. The, the guys do. All right, no, another question for you married folks out there. You've been married for, for 10 or more years. Raise your hand, just keep them raised. If you've been married for 10 or more years. Okay, now I'm going to ask another question with your hands raised. How many of you have discovered that the longer you've been married, the easier it becomes to buy a gift for your spouse. If that's you, I want you to keep your hand raised. If it's easier for you over time, okay, there are only a few hands. More than half lowered their hands. You would think that over time, it would be easier for us to buy our loved ones presents. Emily and I, as our kids have grown, we're like, we don't know what to get our kids most of the time. Like, what do we get them? And we scratch our, when they were little, Man, you'd go out in the backyard, grab a piece of wood, 
strip the bark off of it, give it to one of the kids, they'd be happy. Right? Now, uh, now what we do many times is like, you got to get this gift, you got to go to this place, it's the right one, and I'm the worst. Emily will tell you I'm the worst person to buy presents for. She has a hard time buying presents for me. Some people are easier than others. We try to find the perfect gift. We're looking for the perfect gift this time of the year. Sometimes we don't find it. I love Cyber Mondays. I love Amazon. If I have a Prime membership, I can order stuff online and not have to pay shipping. This is golden. Golden. If you n- never checked it out. But it is hard to find gifts. Especially if it's someone that you love. And you're looking for the perfect gift. Because you want to communicate how much you love them. In this story, we see two different groups of people. We see a group of people who really come out of, come out of nowhere. And they're seeking a gift. And there are others who should be seeking and should be constantly looking for the gift. And they're not really looking for the gift. They're actually unaware that the gift has actually presented himself in their midst. Within a few dozen miles. They're in Jerusalem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, not far away. Definitely far away from these magi who have come traveling from the east who are looking for Jesus, who the Bible says is the gift of God. The perfect gift. Why is he the perfect gift? Because he takes away our sin. He does something that we cannot do for ourselves. He makes us right with God. Something that we cannot do. Something that cannot happen in this life, this side of heaven, without God coming down and giving us the perfect gift, His Son, Jesus Christ. We can't be made right with God. Jesus is the perfect gift, and there's a group of people here who are seeking Him, and there are those who aren't, but that should. These men went searching for Jesus. They show us several things. We learn from these wise men, these magi, how to receive him. Look at verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. We can stop right there and discover this. That Jesus, Jesus is a gift from God, completely from God. See, because Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords who's born. He's a, he's a, king who is a newborn king. He's king as a child. He's not one that that the people would choose. He's not one like Saul where in the Old Testament during the time of 1 Samuel, we see 1 Samuel's written. We went through that series about a year or two ago. We discovered that Saul was the type of guy, head and shoulders above all the rest that the people looked at and they said, now that's our guy. He's our king. We pick him. Jesus is not, Jesus is the perfect gift because he's not of God the Father and of the earth. He's from heaven. He's God in the flesh. How do we receive him? How do we receive a gift? First of all, by grace. Only by grace. The Magi were seeking the one who's born in Bethlehem that no one knew about. They didn't know about him because he was completely and wholly from the Father. We can look at other birth narratives and see how an angel came to Mary and told her that God favored her and that she was going to be with child. Completely the work of God. And salvation likewise is 
100% the work of God. You receive a, a gift by grace. This first verse says, after he was born, after he was born, they came to seek him. They were looking for him. It all starts with the work of God in grace. It was in Bethlehem, which also tells us, harkens back to the Old Testament promise that we find that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Another sign that it's the gift of God. Another sign that it's the grace of God because it's a promise of God being fulfilled. It's not something that we've conjured up ourselves in humanity, giving ourselves a savior. We try to do that, especially around election times, don't we? Whether they be people in our city government or statewide or in our nation, we try to prop up saviors who are gonna fix everything. If we can find a, a Christian candidate, better yet, we don't even have to have a candidate who's a Christian. If they can just be a candidate who can, who can legislate or vote or whatever the way that we like, we can almost meet God halfway on this thing, can't we? We can make our, our country love the Lord again, maybe, if we ever have in the past. But that's not the way salvation works and it's not the way God's sovereignty through Christ our King works. It's 100% from Him. He comes all the way. He meets all of the requirements for our righteousness. He justifies us, the Bible says, not based upon our works, but upon His good grace. We receive our King by grace. God's promise fulfilled. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works prepared beforehand for all of us who, who walk in Christ. See, we are his workmanship. He does the work. So we don't earn a gift. We can't receive our king by anything that we do for God. We receive our king simply because God sent him and we say yes. Yes. It's by grace. It's through faith. <laughs> they simply arrived. You see that? When they come into Jerusalem, these magi, the Bible says, they ask, they, they arrived in Jerusalem and they said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They just come with their questions. We've come. Gifts in hand. Where is he? You know, I, I read somewhere uh, this statistic that Young workers in the workplace right now are doing something called ghosting. Maybe you've heard of this. In greater numbers than ever before, people who apply for jobs, initially apply for jobs, and get the job are simply not showing up for work. They get the job. They, they interview among all these other applicants and they get the job and they, they just don't show up for work. <laughs> they slough it off. It's called ghosting. And they were interviewing several of these young people who were 
ghosting these employers who were offering them jobs. And they said, you know what, we've applied to jobs before. One of them said, we've applied to jobs before and the employers do this to us. So it's kind of payback. You know, you go, you interview, and they'll say things like, we'll call you. Do they call? Nope. Employer doesn't call. So we're going to stick it to them. I'm going to go apply, get the job, and not show up for work. Ha, I showed them. (laughs) I'm like, okay, are these people like living with their parents or on the street? Because like, you got to work for a living. It is called ghosting. They just simply don't show up for work. Isn't that amazing? It's incredible. So many employers are, are stressing to their employees. And, and as a college professor, I understand this. And if some of you are student or uh, teachers out there and you understand, especially on the college level, when students no longer are required by anybody else, nobody's pushing them, holding their hand, making sure they get to class, it's on them. And you'd be surprised at how many students simply don't show up. You will get very far in life these days. You will get much further than your neighbors in life if you simply show up. It's crazy. The wise men just showed up. That's what faith is like. And we think it's complicated. It's not complicated. It's almost as easy as just showing up for work. When we simply present ourselves to God, a living and holy sacrifice, and say, here I am. I I can't make you any promises. I I know that I'm weak in my flesh. I know that I'm sinful, but you have all of me. I'm yours. That's what faith is. Faith is stepping out. It's putting your weight and your trust in God and in Christ. And it's just as simple as showing up. This is what the wise men did. But showing up for them meant leaving home. Showing up meant getting out of your comfort zone. Showing up meant going to a strange place and meeting strange people because of what you desired to experience. They wanted to experience the king of earth. We receive our king by grace, through faith, and then finally, with expectancy. With expectancy. We receive him with expectancy. They didn't just show up. They showed up and they started asking questions. Where is he? Surely these people know. He's their king. Where is he? I mean, where would you go to find out where the king of the Jews was born? Jerusalem. That's where you go. You show up to Jerusalem. You ask the experts. Surely they will know where the king of kings and lord of lords has been born. Where is he? Expectancy. Living the Christian life should be one where we live in constant expectancy. Not just of the day that the Lord will return, but what's he going to do in my life tomorrow? What is he going to present me with tomorrow, the next day, and the next day, and the next week? As I grow older, I lose just naturally, I think, in the flesh, I lose that sense of expectancy. You know what I'm talking about? Even as a Christian, I come to find that there are many times that I start to think like those people that Peter talks about in his, his letter. In those days, many will come who say, where are the signs of his coming? 
Because things have just carried on as they always have. Nothing changes. Everything's the same. There's nothing new. And life just kind of starts to beat you down and you start to think, this is all just going to repeat tomorrow. It's going to repeat tomorrow. It's going to repeat tomorrow. If you're a young mother, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been in the same job for many years. You know what I'm talking about. Where things, where you, you, you want maybe a change of scenery every now and then. And you start to assume that tomorrow's going to be the same. And you hope it's better. But you're expecting things to be the same. But God wants us as his children to live in expectancy of what he's going to do on a daily basis. I think it's in James where the Bible says, come now you who say tomorrow or the next day we're going to do this or that thing. We're going to make these plans. Some of you more mature adults in here are going, ha, ha, ha. You never know, right? Rather, he says, you should say if the Lord wills it, Tomorrow or the next day we'll do this thing or that thing. Living in expectancy is not easy. It requires faith. It's interesting, isn't it, that the wise men, the magi, came with gifts in hand, but they had no knowledge. They were ready, but they didn't know where they were supposed to go. King Herod and the Jews in Jerusalem, however, the scribes that are mentioned, they had the knowledge, but they didn't have the gifts ready. They weren't poised and ready for worship. But they had the scripture. As a matter of fact, they were able to answer them. They were able to answer Herod when Herod started to ask questions. Well, wait a minute, what? Where is he to be born? And they go to the book. And they open up the word and they say, well, this is, this is where he's to be born. In Bethlehem, just as it is written. No, they simply had the pledge of worship. We see Herod in verse 8. When he sent them to Bethlehem, the Bible says, he said, go and make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. Too many people operate that way in the church. They want other people to be passionate about the Lord. I want, I want my pastor to be passionate. I want my worship leader to be passionate. I want my youth pastor to be passionate. I want my spouse to be passionate about the Lord. I, I want my parents or I want my children. I want someone else. And then when they catch on fire, then I'll come behind them. I'll follow them and do whatever. That's not the way it works. Living in expectancy has to begin with you. Has to be in your own heart. King Herod pawns this off to the wise men who are ready to worship the king of kings. And he says, you go on and you go find him. I'm going to continue with my life the way that it is. Not expecting anything from him. Not ready to receive the king. Not willing to give over my kingship and my sovereignty for sure. And when you find him, you tell me. And if it's convenient, I'll come. These are things we can learn from the wise men. 
What can we learn from Herod and the Jews that were in Jerusalem that the wise men were talking to? One thing that we know about these folks in Jerusalem is during this time, they were occupied and would be occupied by the forces of Rome. Now, all of the Middle East or the, the Mediterranean world at that time had been Hellenized, so they all spoke Greek. It was also being dominated by the Romans. And it's no surprise that the people in Jerusalem and the rulers and the scribes, the most holy men in society, wanted liberation from occupying forces. And much of that liberation is rightly desired because God had given Israel the land. He had given them the promised land. And they wanted God's word and promise to be fulfilled. And so many of them, most of them probably like many of us today, living as Americans in the 21st century, are disgruntled and get disgruntled at our rulers, our secular authorities. You would think that this type of discomfort would make us ready in our hearts for the Lord. But what we learn, because they were not ready, that you can be disgruntled at the world and not dissatisfied with what it offers. You can be angry. You can be disgruntled. But still want more of what society offers. Another thing. You can be angry at the secular, that the uh, secular world. You can be angry at the secular world, but... Being angry does not mean that you're a person of faith. I'm sure that many of them were angry at occupying forces. They wanted a change. And sometimes we think that our dissatisfaction with secular rulers in our nation equates to us being faithful to the Lord. Because we think in terms of principles. And we think, well, as long as I'm on the right side of this principle... And I don't mean right as in right or left. I mean right as in right and wrong. As long as I'm on the right side of this, then I'm a person of faith. I'm on God's side. But you can, I can guarantee you that the people that Herod's talking to, the scribes, are on the right side of the ethical issues. That's not the question. The question is, were they a people of faith? Were they expecting Jesus and looking for Jesus? Did they have a passion for God? Did they want the Lord with everything, with all their might? They weren't looking for him. They weren't seeking the newborn king. They weren't seeking the king who only comes from the Father. They were looking to other kings to placate their needs, to provide for them what the Lord could only provide. The second thing we notice is you can know about the work of God and not be actively seeking a work of God. 
You can know about the work of God and not be actively seeking a work of God. That is for God to act and to intervene and to work right now. Look at verses 5 through 6. King Herod gathered together the chief priests and scribes of the people and began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea. See, they had an answer. They knew about the work. They knew the place. They had the authority in verse six, uh, verse 6, the Word of God. They could cite the Word. They knew about the work of God. But they weren't actively seeking a work of God. And then finally, you can be in a position of privilege and be oblivious to the blessings of God. You can be in a place of privilege, a position of privilege, and be oblivious to the blessing of God. Why did the Magi go to Jerusalem? Because that was the place if anyone, if anyone, anywhere, should be expecting the newborn king was the people that lived in that vicinity. If you lived in Jerusalem, surely you would know. The privilege of, of position and where you live and the time that you live in does not equate to knowing how blessed you are. You can be oblivious to the blessing of God all around you. In John chapter 1, verse 11, the Bible says that Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. He came to his own. What does that mean? His own can be referring to the Jews, which I think that it does. But his own can also mean a much wider audience. Because everything that you see, every person all around the world was made by him, for him, and through him. It's all his. So when John 1.11 says that he came to his own, it means he came to his own, this was his own place. Everything that we see was made by Jesus for him, for his glory. He came to his own and his own received him not. Have you ever had one of those moments, one of those how dare they moments? You ever had one of those? Maybe it's when you're driving in traffic. Maybe it's something you deserve, you think you deserve, some kind of respect, maybe at your job or maybe in a personal relationship. Someone offends you, dishonors you, insults you, and you think, how dare they? I have. <laughs> I've had those before. Not, there's not a single experience that you or I could ever have when it comes to a how dare you than John 1 
when Jesus was born in a manger. He came to his own. He came to his own and we owed him every ounce of glory that we could muster up. Every bit of passion, every bit of worship, everything we own, every breath that we have and nobody noticed. Nobody noticed. There were just a handful of people. And they were guided by a star. God communicated to them, an angel appearing to some shepherds in the fields. And the next time that you feel like someone slighted you, just remember that Jesus, the Lord of all creation, was born in a stable, in a manger, because of how much he loved you and how much he loves me. So today, King of kings and Lord of lords, have you received him? Will you receive him? How will you receive him? The only response that we can give as fallen human beings, as sinners, is that we receive him by God's grace through faith. That we show up and we say yes. Today have you received him? Today if you're here this morning and you've received him, there's a moment in your life where you surrendered your life to Christ and you showed up empty handed and you said yes Lord, here's my life. Let it be consecrated to you. Take my life. Forgive me of my sins. I put my faith and all of my trust in you. Maybe you're here today and, and you belong to the Lord. You've surrendered your life to him. You're born again. How about today? Are you cultivating that love for him? Are you cultivating a love for him? Are you living day to day, not just assuming that tomorrow's gonna continue on the way that it always has, but every day do you wake up, do you look toward the cross, are you motivated by the love of Christ dying in your place on the cross and say today is a new day and I don't know where he's going to send me, I don't know what he's going to do, but I'm taking all of my gifts, I'm taking all of my stuff and I'm laying it at his feet. Lord, where would you have me go? Lord, where are you working? It's a daily cultivation. It's not a one and done. It's not a one-time thing. It's every day. That's what he desires for us as his children. To seek him daily. To seek him expectantly. To be ready. The Bible says to... Christians in the New Testament that one way that we do that that we live expectantly is that we live soberly in the world that is that we we lay aside every encumbrance everything that so easily tangles us things that trip us up we proactively remove those things out of the way knowing that God wants us to move forward we identify those things maybe this morning you need to identify some things that are in your way 
that are keeping you from living expectantly and moving forward in your faith. I'm going to pray in a moment and I hope that the Lord, as we pray, points those things out to you and that you're willing to move them out of the way and to remove them. And then we would live joyously with gifts in hand. Always ready to worship. The old hymn says, Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods rocks hills and plains repeat the sounding joy in other words humans men women children creation's doing its job it's crying out the glory of the lord declaring the glory of the lord how are we receiving our King today? Are we crying out His glory? Are we declaring His glory? Because you and I, being created in the image of God, we bear the Imago Dei. That is, we are His crowning creative achievement. And He wants to glorify you and He wants to work through you and display His glory through you to the world for His glory on a daily basis. How will you receive him today? Let's pray. Father, we come to you asking, first of all, that you forgive us of our sins. There's not a moment in our life, every breath that we take, that we're not in need of your forgiveness. Because every breath that we take is a sinful one. God, our hearts and minds as fallen creatures are far from you. And we need your spirit to speak to us, to call our hearts back to you on a regular basis. So I pray right now, Lord, as we speak to you, Father, that you would woo our hearts back to you. That the things that so easily entangle us and lay within our path that we would not hesitate to remove those things because we have an eagerness to be in the middle of your will. Lord, let our lives reflect the truths that we find in these magi this morning in your word that we might not know exactly where you're working or where you're going to lead us. But Father, that we show up with our everything willing to go where you lead. God, sometimes we operate under the false delusion that we can control things. Father, we operate under the delusion that 
There are things that the world offers, whether it be leaders, government, trends, pop culture, the economy, whatever it may be, that when we put our trust in these things, it dulls our appetite for you. And we don't even recognize when you're working right around the corner. So God, I pray that today your church here at Grace Fellowship would be full of people who are giving those things up this morning to you. And Father, that we would give them up and receive you on a daily basis. That we would hunger and thirst for your righteousness. God, that we would be driven forward by a vision of your cross and what Jesus has done on our behalf. Lord, if there's one here this morning, if there's a single person here this morning who've never surrendered their life to you and given over themselves to you and placed their faith and trust in Jesus, your son, for salvation, to be saved, God, I pray that right now they would receive the gift of eternal life from you by confessing their sins and receiving the gift of salvation that Christ died in their place. Father, continue to build us up as your church to lead us, Father, and to bring glory to yourself. We love you. We give you thanks today. In Jesus' name, amen.